Well, I said we would be back, and lo and behold, What A Hit Son is finally back. Apologies for a delay getting the podcast back up and running. If you're not aware, I've been had a busy month and a half moving properties and sorting things out for work, as well as a, a graduation to go to. But now the best thing is I have my own room, uh, its own private room now to, to record a podcast weekly. So it's a good start to the rest of the season. Um, and to bring in 2022, I'll bring back a regular face. So for our first episode of 2022, I'd like to welcome my brother, Rory. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, route. Great to start off 2022 with a bang of uh, a new episode of the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me back, you know. Uh, good to be back. Um, I suppose it's been a busy start of the year. Um, you've been mad busy, so nice to finally get settled down in your little nest, your little um, studio there. And I'm sure there'll be loads of great content coming out of uh, coming out of there for the rest of the remainder of the year. And obviously there's been loads happening in the world of football and sport worldwide, um, across the board. So plenty to, to discuss and kind of dissect. So looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's been very busy. Like obviously, uh, the African Cup of Nations just finished there, and uh, Senegal uh, won on penalties there. So Sadio Mane got to uh, win Senegal, got to win the the Afcon for Senegal after a long period of time, uh, not winning it or getting close. So uh, great, great for that. And then obviously, the transfer window obviously just finished there a week a week ago. And a lot of uh, interesting transfers which happened over the, the winter transfer window, which today we're kind of properly going to dissect and kind of go through some of the key signings, maybe some controversial things that happened during the transfer window and uh, that and kind of talk through um, how, what we ex- might expect from teams going forward for the rest of the season or that or what we were surprised with. Um, so I suppose we'll, we'll start with the Premier League because obviously the Premier League was is the main league we like to cover in this podcast because we watch it in such detail. So I suppose in general, Ruth, what was um, kind of your surprise, I suppose, of the the transfer window that you saw happening of a player moving to a Premier League side? Um, well, from a personal perspective, I expected Liverpool to do zero business and, um, in the transfer window and then we ended up getting quite a shrewd purchase very quite late on uh, seemed to develop very quickly um, with uh, with Diaz Diaz from Porto so I suppose that was uh, from a personal perspective I was resigned to the fact for the season um, that we weren't necessarily going to do anything and Liverpool generally don't do an awful lot in January either Um Obviously, we've had some famous kind of transfers in the January period historically with the likes of the famous Torres going to Chelsea and signing Luis Suarez and Andy Carroll and um, some other ones over the years. But um, obviously, Van Dijk was in the January transfer window. People seem to forget. And um, yeah, I suppose Tottenham kind of forced Liverpool's hand. He was he, he was being kind of lined up for the summer. Um, and then... Spurs obviously made an offer, so it forced Liverpool to to go for him there and then. And look, I suppose uh, great that he picked um, Liverpool. I don't think there's much of a competition um, there for a player like Luis Diaz when you see two of those um, those two clubs coming for you. I think it's fairly straightforward in terms of which one you go for at, at the moment, anyway. In terms of with the the success of the side and the kind of. Um, the future, even looking forward with that current team, um, you would imagine there's going to be um, success there in the near to medium future. As for Spurs, it's a little bit of a, a question mark, I suppose, regardless of um, how good the manager is there. So that was good. Um, yeah, that would be the main thing. Obviously, there was a, a lot of drama. Obviously, obviously affected you personally with Vlavic as well. Um I thought he was nailed on to go to Arsenal um, based on what was being said. And then all of a sudden, Juventus come in. And I suppose for him, being in Italy already, that's a fairly straightforward move for him. But didn't necessarily, 
I didn't necessarily think that was possible, especially with how um, the situation the event has seemed to be in at the time, especially like they got rid of Ronaldo um, in the summer, basically from a cost perspective, but they were able to kind of fork out that kind of money for, for Vladovic. So kind of a couple of question marks around that, I suppose. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like the the main thing I think from looking at the transfer window, especially uh, as you said, is I think what really annoyed me as an Arsenal fan. And I know Tommy was the same, and myself and Tommy were texting kind of as uh, the transfer was coming to an end, and that kind of after. What I don't understand with what the whole Arsenal thing. So Arsenal have gotten rid of their main centre forward who. Score who scored them the most goals of all their strikers in the team. They've got rid of about three three centre backs, um, a midfield slash um centre mid, kind of. Uh, they've also got rid of obviously a left back as well, um, which I wasn't too surprised. Obviously, the left back, and what they've brought in is they brought in a goalkeeper who went straight back out on loan, and they brought in a centre-back, who went straight back out on loan. So they've brought in absolutely nothing. Now, you look at what they have left in the squad, Arsenal now, they had about 20, 21, 22 um, first-team players. Arsenal now officially have 17 first-team players in their squad. Like, And you think this is a team that had to postpone a second leg of a Carabao semi-final because they didn't have enough players to play and then they go and sell thing. Now, I will agree with some of the players that were sold or were sent out on uh, on deals, but you look at Aubameyang, uh, they've sold they basically sold him on a free transfer. Yeah, I know we'll get we'll save 25 million, but that could be a big mistake because he's gone to Barcelona now and you could look in a month's time, he could have a few goals for Barcelona and you nearly could ask, this question is, why did we let him go? Um, or he could have he could have the same impact he's had at Arsenal kind of this season at Barcelona. Like it's, a, it's, it's one of those ones that, but the main thing I think I take from that is, why didn't Arsenal sign a striker? Yeah, I know they had Vlahovic and Vlahovic, the whole thing didn't materialise. Well, why didn't they go for the second choice? Or why didn't they go for the third choice? Like, what happened behind the closed doors? And it's a question both Edu and Arteta need to address for the fans why a deal wasn't struck. I think because that, as an Arsenal fan myself, and what I know, watching other Arsenal fans, is what went on behind closed doors. Then, obviously, we were look centre mid was another thing. We were offered Aaron Ramsey on loan. Obviously, Jack Wilshire's been training with the club. Obviously, it's sitting there. Then they had the whole Arthur thing. There was a whole miscommunication between Juventus and Arsenal, which never materialised. What happened again there as well? Because that was another position we needed someone. So it, it, it was one of those frustrating windows, I think, for me um, as an Arsenal fan. But obviously, then you look at some of the other clubs who've had very good transfer windows as well. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, like, obviously, being, um, not being an Arsenal fan, I suppose, sometimes you can be a little emotive regarding it, but, like, say, me personally, from a Liverpool perspective, I had zero expectations going into the transfer window, so I've come out very happy purely because I didn't expect anything. I suppose, from an Arsenal perspective, majority of Arsenal fans expected business to be done. Um, certainly, if players were being offloaded or leaving the club, you would expect some of those players to be, at least be replaced, but there doesn't seem to. There seems to be all outgoings and literally uh, zero incomes, you know. So, um, quite puzzling. Obviously, from a cost perspective, like Aubameyang signed this massive contract, all this money, mad wages, and then it's not really worked, has it? Um, yeah, you you kind of have. I can understand, like he at the time when he the first few seasons there before he signed the new contract, you could argue he was the best striker in the Premier League, um, especially definitely up there with Kane and Jamie Vardy. Anyway, it was those top three who were very much out in their own. You could argue Aguero to an extent, but obviously he's been kind of on decline and obviously a lot of injuries the last few seasons. 
Um, so yeah, like he was ridiculous, um, instrumental in winning the FA Cup with Arsenal. Obviously, he won a um, charity shield and stuff as well. But um, like, and obviously got far in Europa League semi final and stuff as well. So I think um, I think it's been fairly obvious the impact he had at Arsenal. Obviously, it's not really worked this season, but um, could argue. Is Arteta to blame for that? There seems to be a bit of a familiar pattern and we've definitely touched on it in previous podcasts. Regardless what was going on behind the scenes, for a striker like that to leave the club and not be replaced with anybody just makes no sense to me. When Arsenal very much at the, at the moment seem to be a team that are struggling to score goals. If you take their most recent results, um, obviously lost away to Forest in the Cup. Then... Burnley at home in the league, nil nil. Um, Burnley are always going to be kind of solid enough defensively. They're not necessarily going to blow teams away themselves. But that's the one thing Arsenal seem to be missing. Now I know Martinelli um has been pretty good this season, but he's had injury uh, injury issues over the over his time at Arsenal really. And Lacazette doesn't seem to be playing as a striker anymore. He seems to play as a ten. Um, so his end product to an extent isn't what it was. Um I don't know, it's just it's just the whole thing is just very strange. I regardless, even and I understand to an extent, you pay more in January for players traditionally and the availability of top quality players isn't always there. But I just if that's the case, what don't let Aubameyang go um and get offload him in the summer. And then obviously I don't we don't get me started on how Barcelona are affording all these players. But signing all these players, like um, when they were like on their knees, bankrupt at one stage, mm-hmm. it just makes sense to me anyway. But look, that's probably a, a discussion for another podcast. But yeah, I uh, yeah, I would uh, I'd understand Arsenal fans and yourself and Tommy's frustration. Um, and I spoke with the numerous other Arsenal fans. Um. Um, in close circles, and they just don't understand what Arsenal, um, Arteta, and they do are doing. Um, all these players leaving, but not an awful lot coming in. So, yeah, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see kind of how Arsenal progress because obviously now, when it comes to the summer, the two other strikers that they have, the main strikers that they have in their squad, are out of contract, and it looks like neither of them are going to sign a new deal. So. It'll be interesting to see what Arsenal do in the summer in regards to where they go from there because they'll easily need another two strikers because obviously they've got Balogun who's who's playing now with Middlesbrough on loan. But after him, like they've no other strikers. Um, like I know you could say Martinelli can play down the centre, but realistically he plays out wide. So it, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with that situation with the, the club. I suppose. Kind of moving on to some of the other teams that obviously that made signings. So obviously I think one of the, the busiest teams who kind of did a lot of their business kind of earlier in the, the transfer um window was obviously Aston Villa. Um Aston Villa I think have made kind of some very key signings to their squad. So you obviously look at they brought in Coutinho on loan from Barcelona, they got uh Dinier on a permanent transfer, they brought in uh, Callum Chambers from Arsenal and c- kind of Olsen as well as a, kind of a backup goalkeeper. So looking at kind of them, was has Gerard really made a, a very good impact in the players he's even brought into the squad? Because obviously Digne straight away played against his former club in his first game and got a man of the match award in his first game, which was an interesting one, especially when he was being left out by Rafael Benitez. Look, um, there seems to definitely be a growing trend there with Gerard. that just on his reputation alone, he seems to be able to get these players and entice these players to come to the club. It was the same when he was at Rangers and some of the signings he was able to make. Um, so he clearly has good contacts within the game, but he also, his reputation, not just as a player, but as a manager so far, is positive. So he's getting these players. I do think his recruitment has been fantastic at Villa. Um, like, shoring up key areas, 
Callum Chambers has always, in my opinion, been a decent centre half, so I think that's a pretty good sign. And um, Dinya um, is definitely an upgrade on Taggart. Um, obviously, brings a goal threat and um, kind of set piece kind of threat as well. So that's an area of improvement. And um, Coutinho was an unbelievable um, boy. I was not dis- disappointed. Um, Probably isn't the word, but I I felt Liverpool could have gone in for him again. I suppose it's very hard to get a player that's left in the circumstances that he did to come back um, from a pride perspective. But I think I hope he does really well for, for Villa. I've always uh, massive admiration for Coutinho, so and I think he will do very well. Obviously, made a pretty um, immediate impact there, and he's only going to improve the rest of the season. I think are definitely starting to put together a, a strong squad. They've used the Jack Grealish money really well as well. Um, like you could argue the overall squad is way better off now than what it was when Jack Grealish was there. So it has um, it it was a good investment really to to let him go for the money that um he went for. And you could argue Man City are worse off really. Because um, they haven't got necessarily the same player that they signed um, from Villa. So, yeah, but I'd say they would definitely, if you're looking at um, picking a team in the Premier League that's probably done the best over the, the, the January transfer, you put, you definitely put um, Villa there anyway. Yeah, I totally agree. I think kind of what Gerard's doing with that squad, and you notice kind of the difference from Dean Smith and kind of. Jared coming in and kind of the tactics he's brought with how he obviously kind of helped Rangers win their first um, Scottish Premier League title in, in a long while. Um, so you're kind of seeing now he as, as a manager, he's, he's really kind of helped improve Villa kind of style of play and that as well. And they've got very good re- results since he's come in. Um, so it's definitely progressing in a good way for them. Um, and it will be interesting to see kind of where they finished. Definitely be in the top half of the table come end of the season. Another team, obviously, who've had a change of manager as well and brought in a good amount of players during the the January transfer window as well, especially probably one of the busiest on deadline day with two late signings is obviously Everton. So Everton obviously brought in Frank Lampard as manager. Um, and then kind of they've brought in Nathan Patterson from Rangers. They brought in uh, Mikolenko from uh, Demonok Kiev. So they've got obviously two two fullbacks. Brought in Deli Ali, El Ghazi, and Donny van der Beek, um, all on kind of loan slash free transfers, uh, which is very kind of good kind of deals that they've got. Could, that, could Lampard change whatever... Everton, how they're performing at the moment, will his will Everton be the type of club that'll suit him as a manager more than what obviously at Chelsea, the way it kind of deteriorated for him. Well, I mean, he's clearly outlined the style what play he wants to play. He wants to change to a possession based game. Obviously, at Everton weren't really a possession based game under Everton. Definitely want to take this opportunity though. Obviously, I actually hope Lampard does well. Um, I thought it was obviously not sad to see, but it was kind of bad in terms of how we finished off at Chelsea because um, I thought he was on a hide into nothing really in terms of the amount of investment that was put in. I thought it was always going to take time for that all to, to fit together. Obviously, Tuchel has done an amazing job. Um, I thought Lampard was a bit unlucky with kind of a couple of key injuries at the time with Kante, etc. Um, when he was there. So I don't think that helped, but it definitely didn't damage his um, reputation or kind of status with the, the club fans anyway. But um, I want to take the opportunity, obviously, I think it reflects really badly on the, the squad at Everton um, and the players in that dressing room that they were able to put a performance in like that against Brentford at the weekend. Um, I know Dad obviously well, didn't have a lot of nice things to say as an Everton fan. That was pretty disgusting that they could put a performance in like that in front of their own fans when you look at kind of some of the performances they were putting in at the end of um, Benitez's reign. And it really just highlights the modern day player um, 
is just like the power that they have over a manager or within a club. It it's just it's wrong. Um, how they can have so much influence on results like that in terms of just not turning up for a manager. Um, like you, you play, you you represent the club, you're representing the fans, and the badge and all that kind of stuff. It, like the manager to an extent, obviously there has to be a buy in, and you have to get on with the manager or want to to play for him. But at the end of the day, when you step onto that pitch, you're performing for yourself and for the fans. You're not performing for the manager necessarily, you know. And I just thought, I think it's unfair the way it ended for Benitez because I don't think that was a fair reflection on the squad of players he had. I think also he's been ridiculously unlucky with injuries as well. Like he's not had Calvert-Lewin literally the whole season. He's had Richarlison missing for long periods. They're two best players, arguably, um, for the last few seasons. So. I think it, he was never it was never going to work out there. I obviously at the time when he was initially um, appointed, I thought it was a very strange appointment with his history with Liverpool. But even that all that side wouldn't uh, would be too impressed as an Everton fan now um, of the kind of personality and some of the players that seem to be in that club. Definitely don't think it reflects well um, on them at all. I thought, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like when you look at at how kind of the managers thing has kind of played out and kind of their history of what they've brought in as managers over the years, there've been some kind of questionable ones, and then obviously some some good ones. But uh, I really hope for Lampard because I was very impressed when he was at Derby and how he he managed Derby, and then obviously at Chelsea. When he wasn't able to sign players, he really kind of helped the club perform, and certain players really stood out um, over others. So I really hope kind of Everton uh, goes well for him, and he can get Everton back to where Everton deserved to be um, from their history of obviously being even just outside the top four, and that they were always a team when under David Moyes, especially they were always up there. Um, kind of from from my memory of watching them as well and obviously dad as well being a huge Everton fan would love to see them back up there again and then I, I suppose kind of the other club then that were busy as well um right up until kind of the final um bit of the window with again them nearly in the last one or two days signing two key players then is obviously a team who were fighting to avoid relegation is Newcastle so they obviously signed one of the players Arsenal were looking at as well. So it seems like no one wants to go to Arsenal and go to other clubs. It's obviously Bruno uh, Guimaraes um, signed for them from Lyon on loan from uh, Villa. Dan Byrne on a permanent deal from Brighton. Kieran Trippier um, on a permanent deal from Atletico Madrid. And Chris Wood uh, on a permanent deal from Burnley. So looking at kind of what they've brought in kind of have you been impressed with what they've brought in to maybe potentially help them stay up yeah like they have recruited well but like squad there Newcastle's not the best is it really overall obviously some good signings um, but I still think it's a rebuild job I feel like regardless what's been done I still see them going down Um, and then obviously they're just going to have to have a a better squad or a squad that would nearly be too good for the championship that they hope well, you'd hope for a Newcastle perspective that they come straight back up but I just feel as a, like there's a there's a lot to be done they obviously have a a good manager um, tough tough place to go to try and stamp his mark obviously he did a brilliant job at Bournemouth for a very long time um, and he deserves a, a chance at somewhere like Newcastle Um and I hope he does well. I just have a, I have a, I have a bad feeling about Newcastle. Really, I just, um, like Alan Saint Maximan, like they, they, they just generally they don't score enough and they concede too much. Really, don't they? From what we've seen, um, even under Eddie Howe, like they just don't. Uh, there isn't enough confidence there that they're going to outscore an opposition to win enough games really between now and the end of the season, especially in like tight games. You look at um the form of Norwich at the moment, 
you would nearly expect that they could make a great escape and get out. Um, against all odds, really, Dean Smith's had a, a, a done a pretty fantastic job there. So yeah, I don't know. Like they're they're getting they're getting some great players. Obviously, going to be playing them well. You'd hope that's more than enough to. And look, the Newcastle fans they they love their football. They know their football as well. Um, like they're definitely they get behind the team. Um, and hopefully that'll be enough to get them out. But yeah, you'd be you'd be worried. I'd be worried now as a Newcastle fan whether they'll they'll have enough to get out. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think the other question I had from it was obviously the as I, as I said they signed uh, Bruno Gomares obviously uh, on a permanent deal from Leon. The one thing I had probably at that like you look at the clubs he was being linked with. So obviously he's linked with Arsenal. He was linked with Juventus. He was linked with PSG. He was linked with a few kind of big name teams and he ends up somewhere like Newcastle. Now I'm not saying Newcastle aren't a big club. They're going to be even bigger now, obviously with the investment that's in there, but you go from a team that's competing for a champions league spot in the French league to a team that's competing to avoid relegation in the premier league. Was that money driven? Or was that he just wanted to play in the Premier League and he Newcastle he thought was a club he might hit it off at? I don't know, unless you speak to the player, I suppose. Um, but, like, definitely... Look, I, I don't actually... I, I, being honest with you, I don't have a problem with players going for, for money. <laughs> like, if you look at the average uh, life expectancy of a professional footballer in terms of their career, it's so much shorter than any other industry. Um I don't bl- I don't blame a player going for a bit of money towards the end of their career, to be honest. Um as long as they're as long as they put the performances in, do you know what I mean? In terms of if they're just happy to take the money and they're half arsed for the, the period that they're there and they don't fully commit, then I have an issue with it. But if they're gonna tur- if they're gonna put the performances in, there's nothing wrong with going for the money. Um at the end of at the end of your career, as great as amazing as um, trophies and medals are if there isn't kind of financial security or um, a certain level of comfort there for you financially for your family etc what like those trophies and medals don't necessarily they can't buy you that can they so um, I always think it means more say when you you obviously do it like say when Shearer went to Newcastle he went there purely because it was boyhood club. But like, um, you look back, like secretly, does he have regrets in terms of would have gone to United? He probably would have won everything. Um, so yeah, I don't like. It's hard to know. Different players are motivated by different things. Um, some for titles and medals, and others for for money or whatever. But I definitely don't have a hold a grudge against players that are necessarily um are going to uh. Going are in it for the money. Yeah, I agree. Um, and like it, it, it it's gonna be with with that. I can understand what you mean. Obviously, in regards to the financial stability as well for clubs, especially with the likes of the Brazilian players, it's very well known that Brazilian players love that stability, especially for like family and stuff like that. And they could might have originally come from a very poor background, so to get that sort of income as well can be kind of a motivation for them maybe to take that step down but eventually help the team maybe get that further up the table and get, get them eventually competing for like Champions Leagues and Bruno, Bruno Gomez could be one of those players who eventually helps Newcastle get to that side where they're constantly competing to get into the top four and stuff like that. That could be the the first step in their process as well with this new investment that they have. Um, I suppose then looking at kind of some of the other players who've come in, so kind of some of the other key signings. Obviously, Burnley replaced Chris Wood with uh, Wout Weghorst from uh, Wolfsburg, which was to me was a surprise signing because he's a very kind of regular player that gets into like the Dutch squad so to the very good signing from um 
from Burnley uh, to replace, obviously, Chris Wood. Um, it's kind of similar type of player, very tall, um, very good kind of in the air kind of player as well, and scored regularly in the, the Bundesliga. Then, obviously, Spurs had the double signing of um, the two boys from Juventus in um, uh, Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt, which was um, two very good signings, good players who were on the fringes kind of uh, as of late kind of for them, but have shown it at international level um, their quality. So very good signing for them kind of to replace players maybe who were starting to go on the fringes. Was there any kind of players that really stood out to you kind of of the other signings that clubs made? Um, no, I suppose like th- th- there, as you said, there was some strange boys. Like I never thought a player would leave Wolfsburg and go to Burnley of all places. And um, the way they signing was very strange, completely like out with blue and right of center. Such as net, it's not something you'd ever like if you if you leaving Germany and going to the the north of England, but going to Burnley. You know what I mean, uh, of all places, and uh, yeah. another team that are in serious risk of. Playing in the championship next year as well, so it's quite a quite a drop, isn't it? Really, in terms of um quality, um I don't know. Yeah, it, it, yeah, like the highlight. I, I, I have. I, I'm obviously going to be biased, and I'm just going to say the Lewis Diaz purely on the basis that it came so it came out of nowhere. Um, obviously from Liverpool's board and scouting and all that kind of stuff like they had lined them up for the summer um which i had not and very few liverpool fans just knew anything of obviously they're uh, liverpool are quite good in terms of keeping their cards close to their chest um in terms of the quality of player we're but we're getting uh, arguably on form the best player in portuguese league which like form wise has been doing pretty well the last couple of seasons in terms of performances in europe um, so I'm going to be biased and say the Diaz signing. Um, I do think Vlavic um is going to do very well. Obviously, Juventus as well. Um, because they needed that. Like Morata just isn't necessarily top level, and he's got serious potential to be up there with the likes of Haaland, etc. Um, in terms of goal scoring, obviously made an immediate impact as well last night. Um. With a goal on debut, uh, Diaz had a goal, uh, had an assist at the weekend, um, so that's a good start. Oh, oh, other than that, like the other mad signings, obviously Yovani, I didn't see the Yovani thing happened. Um, I thought he was going to leave eventually, um, or probably go in the summer, but it seemed to like obviously coming back from Afcon because he had contracted COVID. Then talking about lesions on his heart. Then saying he was fine, and then not in the squads, not training, and then all of a sudden, oh, he's in Barcelona. Do you know what I mean? It just seemed a bit mad. Um, and all the other players that kind of left there. So I suppose the, that was the that was the. I'd say if I'm gonna say being honest, and probably the, the craziest thing that happened all window was the whole Aubameyang saga and just the amount of players that left Arsenal and the players weren't replaced. That's what probably that would probably be the the. It's not a positive thing with like the highlight as such of the transfer window, I'd say. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I think when you look at, at the transfer window, that is one thing that stands out. But I think the other thing, as you touched on Aubameyang, I think the other thing that really hit the headlines for me was Barcelona as a club. Because obviously at the start of this season Barcelona said they can't sign any players because obviously the wages thing then they had all this thing with obviously Aguero and stuff of that they couldn't sign players players had to take pay cuts they had to sign new deals where they weren't were making less money and stuff like that and here they go in the January transfer window they signed Ferran Torres and a permanent transfer from Man City they signed Aubameyang on a free free transfer they sign Adama Traore on loan from Wolves, where they're paying the the full wages. They've signed Danny Alves on a um on a free, which apparently Danny Alves is actually taking is getting paid literally nothing to play for them. 
Um, but like you're looking at this and just it just makes me question like how are they able to pay wages for the, these players when they they said they couldn't sign any more players? It just the mind boggles. And like you look at yeah, they got rid of uh, Coutinho on loan, and obviously Aguero then had to retire sadly because of obviously the heart condition. But like, where are they getting this money thing? Because they like they the main thing they tried to do is they even tried to get rid of Dembele on a transfer because he's a free um his contract runs out in the summer and he wasn't willing to sign a new deal because of the terms Barcelona were offering him. Like where has this money sudden money come from? Yeah, well obviously they uh, the the loan agreements, but yeah, regardless, just because they've gotten loans off loans off the bank or whatever, they need to be actively, in my opinion, trying to reduce their debt, not increase their debt their just use of this this extra influx of money, um. So they need to be offloading players, not 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 signing more, um. So I just think it's it's wrong on so many levels. But look, I don't know. Um, it doesn't look like there's much is going to be um, much is going to be done about it for the moment. So we'll have to see. But yeah, it's very uh, very frustrating that it, they can just seem to be allowed to. What they want, really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, with obviously Barcelona, with the players they brought in, obviously they brought in Aubameyang, they've brought in Adama on loan and Ferran Torres. Could those players maybe be a, be a kind of a positive for them in regards to their fight to get back into the top four and finish, obviously, with Champions League. Realistically, I don't see them, obviously, challenging for the title at the end of the season, but could this be their way of getting back up, getting rid of those, obviously, those poor that poor form for them and get in and get those points needed to get up and maybe get up close to challenging for the title and get back to solidify their position where they should be? Yeah, I, I think obviously it's a big risk with um with having a uh unrecognized manager similar to what it would have been at the time for um Lampard or um Gerard to an extent. Obviously Gerard started at you could argue he'd started at a lower level. Obviously not it's not a low level in terms of Scotland, um it's the the top level, but in um in comparison to other leagues, so I think that's a that that's the main area of concern. Look, it's been done. Um, managers with less experience, shall we say, have have had success. But um, I think that was the biggest risk Barcelona took. Really, was the Xavi appointment. Um, and I just I'd I'd be worried. Um, they got a good result there against Atletico. They seemed to turn a little bit of a corner in terms of. Seem to be a lot more exciting going forward, especially having gone one 0 down, finishing the game with ten men. Um, but um, I don't think that's necessarily a great achievement. I think Atletico are on gone backwards this season, especially considering how successful they were last year. Um, so yeah, that I don't know. It's hard to know. I I, I do think the Spanish league at the moment, like they're it's just so so poor. Um, like I think the teams are way off. I don't think Madrid are going to do anything really in in Europe this season. Um, I don't think they're a threat to, to anybody. Can't see them even getting by the next round. I'd be very surprised. If, uh, I'd expect um, PSG to have too much um, too much firepower for them, really. So yeah, I don't know. Um, hard to know. Only time will tell. I do think it's a bit of a rebuild job. If he somehow manages to get Champions League football, that's a, that's an achievement in itself. And then obviously they can do a bit of build and work ready for next year. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it, it's going to be one of those things that you're going to have to wait and see kind of what happens. But then the, the, the other thing from kind of signings that happened in um, La Liga um as a league obviously i think one of the standout ones for me as well was obviously anthony martial going to sevilla 
Um, obviously, at the start of the, the transfer window, he was linked with several clubs, including staying in the Premier League and going to Newcastle. But apparently, he wanted to go and play in Spain as as a challenge for himself. Is that a good move for him as a player, maybe to get back into the form he was in kind of at the start of United where he was playing well and then obviously kind of other things happened behind closed doors and stuff like that and then he's had falling out with managers. Could this be his way to to rebuild his career? Like he's 26 now. Obviously, this is his chance maybe to potentially get to the World Cup as well. I don't think there's ever been a question about the potential of Martial. Um, like he's a lot of traits there that you'd want in a footballer. I just don't think he was ever going to be the player that they made him out to be. Um, and I just think, no, I think he's going to, without all the kind of um, disciplinary issues, I think he's just going to end his career like a, a Balotelli um, or somewhere like that that has an awful lot of talent. You'll see bits of brilliance here and there, but fundamentally quite disappointing um, and will under-deliver. I just don't... I think the biggest problem with Anthony Martial is between his, his two ears. Yeah. Um, in terms of whether that's a level of intelligence or just a, like an immaturity thing or what, but um, I just don't think he... I don't think he'll ever amount to the player that he was um, made out to be personally, but um, could be wrong if I'm proven wrong. I said at the time when he was initially signed, and I know he scored in his debut and Martin Tyler had an orgasm live on TV, but um, um, I don't uh, don't think he was ever going to be the player that he was made out to be, really. Um, from a you know, your perspective, obviously we won't get into the ins and outs, but um, I think um, it's no loss there. The bigger loss for them is obviously the the whole Mason Greenwood um, saga. So, um, yeah, I don't. I, I think that was best for both parties. Really, that he's he's gone. I don't see him returning for next year. Um, if he does, it'll be for a short period, and then he'd be sold off. I'd say. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think this is his kind of his way. I think it's United are trying to obviously to push him out. So this is their way to try and recoup some money for him. So maybe send him out on loan. He might be successful and then they can get some, some money on it, on him in, in the summer. Looking then, I suppose we, we spoke about it earlier. I think kind of the main thing I'd love to touch on as well is obviously Vlahovic obviously probably is the biggest signing, obviously money-wise, um, this, this January transfer window. And looking at obviously how it materialized, obviously Arsenal put in a bid. And Juventus were put hadn't put anything in and weren't really speaking about it. And then apparently the player and the agents refused to speak to Fiorentina when Fiorentina were interested in selling him outside of Syria. But Vlahovic and his agent refused to speak to it unless the move was to Juventus. And that's where they were focused. Then Juventus came in with a deal and then all of a sudden it all materialized. Was the way Vlahovic acted and his agent acted wrong for him to act like that, especially to try and force through a move, especially when it turns fans against you, it ruins a relationship between a player and a club, uh, especially when the club's trying to maximize on getting you out, especially if you're refusing to sign a new deal as well. Yes, in terms of how he how he's perceived to have behaved, uh, behaved if reports are correct in terms of that, he just refused to take Fiorentina's calls um, to force through the move to Juventus over, say, Arsenal, for example. Um, yes, um, that I think you, there has to be... Um, like they are your employer to an extent there seems that there should be a certain level of respect and integrity there for your current club um, so if that's all true then yes um, he's definitely obviously damaged reputa- or his um, relationship with the fans as well like he was there for quite a while um, so that's not that doesn't reflect well on him um, or how how he viewed the fans to an extent. I suppose it's such a high, it's such a high pressure business, and also as we I touched on earlier, it's such a short career. 
that I don't blame him for forcing through the move, but like I think you Fiorentina were always going to work in their own best interest to um to maximize as much money. Um and I definitely think it helped um Fiorentina get a little bit more money in terms of that Arsenal were interested from overseas. I think it helped hike up the price for say Juventus to come in. Um and Juventus probably played more than I'd say they were initially wanting to purely because of Arsenal's interest. Um, um so I think that inflated the price. Um the asking price. Then but like we've seen this all so many times like Harry Kane to the extent obviously Harry handed in a transfer request not turned up for training it seems to be how the modern player um, seems to go I think certain clubs put up with it and I do think clubs are very quick to make sure that their image is, is never is never um, tarnished it's always the player that get, gets the the bad brunt of the the media or the perception in the media in terms of oh yeah, Vlahovic stopped playing ball and wouldn't take our calls, blah, 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 when you'd wonder sometimes, is it the other way around? The actual club are, are playing playing games sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the club, of Fiorentina obviously come out with best and best everything else, but at the same time, I think it'll be quickly forgotten about. Vlahovic puts his head down and has some success with Juventus. He's not going to really look back on it with any kind of regret, is he, as a player? Um, mm. Obviously, if they win anything or they have success, uh, probably not this season. Um, they probably have success, potential success maybe more next season um, onwards. So, I don't... Um, we're, we're, we're kind of wait and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we'll kind of see kind of how that plays out and how Vlahovic settles in obviously into Juventus and obviously he, he got a goal the other night so he seems to already be hitting the, the mark for them and um, he might be the answer to um, Juventus' striker issues obviously that, that they've had recently this season um, the other question I had obviously about Juventus is obviously Juventus reported um, during the, the, the January win so kind of at the start that Obviously, they had a loss of about three hundred million, um, and that they weren't being able to afford players. And then all of a sudden, this comes out of the hat here. Um, is it something that you question, especially about a club like this? Is something similar that happened, obviously, with Barcelona as well? Is this something now that needs to be questioned? Is financial fair play? Obviously, we've we've said before that it's not being used correctly. But it does financial fair play need a looking at if clubs are saying that they've lost a lot of money and then all of a sudden forking out more money, which makes their loss even greater? Well, hundred percent, hundred percent, it needs to be looked at. But like, I just, I, I have no faith in, I have no faith in UEFA, and I have no faith in how they, how the organization functions. So, like, I, I just think these. Clubs are going to continue to get away with us um, until they piss someone off, um, and then they'll probably come for them. But like for Barcelona to be able to carry on the way they're going on, um, Juventus to have need to sell the likes of Ronaldo or whoever. I know they didn't sell them for much money, but like they had them for a relatively short period of time, um, and then to be able to get rid of them um, for a little for little money and then to be able to fork out and look I, I understand all these deals are structured differently in terms of might necessarily be that much money outgoing like straight away um, the old nonsense of oh we'll make it back in shirt sales clubs generally get very little money from the generation of shirt sales the majority of the money goes to the manufacturer Nike or Adidas or whoever they make the majority of the money quite a small proportion of the money goes to, to the actual club itself um, so that's just mm-hmm. a, that's a non-runner um, so yeah I don't know so Basically, when you make an investment like that, you need success. So, Juventus are going to have to win things in order to really um, recoup the money on Vlahovic or else they sell him. They, he develops as a player and they sell him for big money 
further down the line to one of the other big clubs. That's the only way they're they're realistically going to make money off them um, or make money from the deal. So, yeah, you question, um, considering the money that they spent on Ronaldo when they first signed him, um, the realistically, Juventus are going to have to sell some players, whether that be Dybala. Dybala's running out of out of uh, contract. I think he's a free agent in the summer, actually. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to... We'll have to wait and see, but yeah, there's definitely it. Definitely is quite frustrating and annoying as a as a football supporter that this can all go on and they seem to just continue to get away with it. Yeah, I totally agree, and it's something that, as a fan, you just want there to be like a a book, and you could literally throw the book at a club who are probably breaking the rules who are financially not able to do it like i said it to tommy like i remember when when i saw that juventus had come in and they have pretty much are going to sign lavit i said i just don't understand where this money has come from like juventus announced oh yeah we've 300 million in losses and then all of a sudden oh yeah but but we'll we'll spend this money on uh vlahovic i'm just like like you look at their their incomings and outgoings like yes Aaron Ramsey went out on loan to to Rangers they did make about 17 million selling um Benton core and they're getting a small fee from Spurs for a loan but that still doesn't make up the money for this this Vlahovic deal like they're with with all the money and go like they've bringing in about 26 million and they've spent about 87 kind of close to 90 million on Vlahovic, uh Zachariah and Gatti um come have come into them and I just I just don't understand where this money is being generated because it it's just it's it's mind-boggling really um as a as a as a person who loves loves their sport and loves the the transfer window because of these deals that happen, but it just it's pu- puzzling, really. Yeah, you wonder. You wonder to an extent, obviously, to the to the cost and how how big the transfer fees are getting. Do you just think it's a eventually it isn't unsustainable and something kind of has to be done? Um, I suppose it's a it's a player market, isn't it? Supply market in terms of. They're able to demand and drive the, the sales and obviously the, the wages and the agent fees and all this kind of stuff has a, a big impact on the, the cost and the price of the, the transfer. But um, do you wonder if it's getting to a stage now where it's unsustainable in terms of is there going to be a breaking point in the football transfer market or a collapse to the extent that this money is going to continue to be spent and then one day a big club is just going to go under and that's going to be that and that's just going to have a knock, uh, knock on effect or a domino effect on transfers across the board for football and maybe that's what needs to happen I hope that doesn't happen for obviously the sake of a particular club or um, and their fans more importantly probably but um there has to be there has to be a ceiling and at the moment the ceiling just seems to to keep going it's it's like they're someone's building a house and they're just continuing to put an extra story an extra story an extra story on top but the the building materials that they're using as they go further they go up is get it's getting worse and worse and something's going to topple eventually um that that's the way I'm looking at it at the moment if when when there's certain clubs that just aren't being run if properly and by the rules, it, it it's going to result in like you look at say Derby County you now, for example, that obviously you'd hope they get um Mike Ashley thing, Gail goes through just to get them out of the the hole that they're in. But like potentially that club could cease to exist. Imagine some of the the, the history and success of Derby over the years, like that would just be it would just be catastrophic for the fan base um, and for the area of Derby as well. So, look, you don't want that on any big club for that to happen. But I just, I wonder, you do question if that's the road we're going to be leading in football. Um, I, I understand the global 
inflation, all that kind of stuff plays into it as well. But yeah, I'd be worried long term anyway. Yeah, and I, that that that's one thing I suppose is that with the the Derby situation, like you look at Derby, and as you said, obviously Mike Ashley's trying to buy them, and um. Like they're having to, they're selling players, but having to make deals that they sell the player, but need the player back on loan because they can't even afford a full squad or afford to bring in replacements. Um, and obviously they 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 are banned from signing players. But like that that's a that's pretty much a a difficult thing, nearly for them as well as a club. And is that something that's going to happen? Say with someone even bigger, like a bigger side, like someone thing like Barcelona or Real Madrid, like eventually that could be something that that hits up, that happens to these teams if this inflation keeps going up and players, basically bidding for players becomes even like you're paying 100 million or a couple hundred million for for three or four players. Like it's going to be something that, it needs to be addressed and there needs to be a minimum and a maximum that you can buy a player for. Um, I think kind of what needs to go because like you look at it back down the line, like Kylian Mbappe was about 200 million to sign for PSG. This summer, he could be going for free to Real Madrid, potentially, if he doesn't sign a new deal. Like it, the, this whole thing is just weird crazy really to, with how football is developing i think as a sport because when you look 20 years ago there were players going for maybe a, a million maybe to two million and now like they're going for three digit million figures like it's just it's farcical really yeah, like I said, and as I said, it is unsustainable in terms of you look at the amount of money Neymar went for at the time there, um, and now you're getting players arguably nowhere near that level at the time of what he was going for similar amounts of money. Do you know what I mean? Or half that money. Like Jack Grealish to to Man City for 100 million. Like that's, that, that's insane money, you know? Yeah. Obviously, Villa, yeah. obviously Villa um, Happy to take it, but yeah, I think it's nuts, man. Yeah, I and I, I think probably with with that, like it, it's you're gonna find like three or four of those signings. I think across both Premier League and thing. Like you look obviously at some of the players who were signed during this window. I think while Liverpool spent on Diaz was very good uh, for what they've paid for because he was showing both in the Champions League and in, obviously, um, his own league, the Portuguese League, he was showing how much quality. And I know this is not to go by, but just saying, for example, like on FIFA, he'd already had like six or seven informs because he was consistently getting man-of-the-match performances for Porto week after week after week after week. And that just shows how good a player he was. And then you've got the other end where you've got maybe someone who's not performing as well, like Deli Ali, who could potentially be signing for Everton, and Everton could eventually be paying about fifty million for him. And this is a player who has shown quality, but as of late and as of recently, hasn't hit that form. And that's generally because of how the market's gone. That an English player who maybe not be playing as regularly is going for like fifty million. Well, like there's no way like Deli Ali's worth that, and based on his last three four seasons at Spurs, like not even close to that. You know, he's worth maybe you'd argue is he worth even half that? You know, yeah. Uh, obviously, the Deli Ali, even the player, um, when he was banging them in for. For Spurs on a regular basis and putting in seven, eight, nine out of ten performances, you could argue that potentially, yeah, could have gone for maybe fifty million or something mad, but um, not a hope you'd you'd, you'd spend anything like that now. So, uh, for just quickly speaking on that, I hope for his case he can turn it around, um, and get his career back started. But I think he's one of these. I think the problem is Deli Ali there, 
um, seemed to believe his own hype there for a while and thought he'd uh, thought he'd uh, thought he'd arrived um, and just hasn't hasn't put the 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 work the work in really to to continue to improve and develop um, it seemed to be very apparent in the Spurs documentary when Jose Mourinho had the conversation with him and I just don't think he I don't think he took I don't think he took it on board really did he no de- de- definitely not like and that was I think that was something that was 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 interesting to watch as well just to see like you're you've got a world class manager and Jose Mourinho coming in and he's telling you what you need to do and you're not doing anything about it like it's it's obviously a mental issue with Deli Ali himself that he needs to sort out. And I hope for his sake that Frank Lampard can get him back to his best because Frank Lampard is obviously a center, was a center midfielder, kind of similar position to Deli Ali as well. That he might be able to say, Look, this is what you need to do. This is what I want from you. Just get yourself in shape, get yourself back to where you want to be. Try, try your best in every game. And, maybe show those performances but definitely one to to see what happens and how how it develops there for him uh and maybe it might go very well for him and he might see himself back to his best and he might get back into the england squad and that um potentially for the world cup if if it all goes successful and um that but it, it will be something we'll have to keep a close eye on i think the last thing i want to touch on and I was leaving this to last because I did. I think this really sums up how great football can be sometimes. And it's the main story of the January transfer window. And it's Christian Eriksen signed for Brentford FC. And this truly is an amazing story because obviously this is a player who last year had a, a heart attack on the pitch. It looked like he was going to die on the pitch and stuff like that with his family. And now you're looking, he's after signing, he's coming back, he's going to play football, he's going to be back in the Premier League. It's it's a fairy tale story. And even better than that, like you look at the effect it's had on Brentford as a club as well. Like he signs and they've uh, sold thirty times the amount of jerseys they've ever sold for for any players in a short period when he signed and it, it really is just one of those real kind of you can't see anything better nearly of a story can you oh no it's a, it's 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 unbelievable like let, let's be honest like without being too graphic they, like he was he was literally he was dead like he was um he was classed as having died on the pitch um for a short period of time before they were able to obviously resuscitate him, so that's a that's a miracle in itself. Um, for her, him to make the recovery, um, obviously all the credit goes out to all the doctors involved. That and obviously the innovation, um, behind the device that basically allows him to be able to do this. I know Dali Blind has a fairly similar um device in his own um in around his own chest regarding his heart, um, and it's just a uh, credit to. To everybody concerned, and obviously to to Christian Eriksen himself, that um he's motivated and he wants to return to football and doesn't didn't see it as a um a time to to call it a day, and he's obviously got a, a second chance to 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 play football. I'm sure he's very grateful. Um, from what I my understanding, he's not necessarily gone for for mad money or anything at uh at Brentford, so I think that's a credit to him. Um, and yeah, I hope it, it works out. Brentford seemed to be a nice club. They're obviously, uh, the result didn't go their way, obviously, against Everton in the Cup, but they've had a, a fantastic first season in the Premier League. I'd be very surprised if they get relegated, so a um, lot to look forward to as a Brentford fan, and hopefully Christian Eriksen has a, has a, success, a successful spell there. Yeah, exactly. And it's it, it's a really lovely story because just because it's it's it'll be great to see him go back and I hope it all goes well and he's able to get to the World Cup as well because that is I think one thing all fans want to see is him playing in a competitive competition and getting back to where he was. Now he might not be 
the same player as he was or stuff like that because it might be tough for him as well for the first one to get back to that fitness or or stuff like that but i really hope he gets back to where he was and scoring goals or being a kind of pivotal player for for denmark as well because i think that's what all fans want to see especially what with what happened last year and he is a fantastic player like he's he's one of those players you you'd love to watch even i know as a as an arsenal fan even when he was at spurs he was one of those players you'd you'd love to watch or he's one of those players that you knew in the Spurs squad any team would take because he was just so good yeah well like he the the talent um isn't uh has never been a question there in terms of his technical abilities a footballer um amazing uh, amazingly in terms of te- uh, technical um his ability to score goals from outside the box i think he was top that uh, after Coutinho or when or he surpassed Coutinho after Coutinho left the Premier League for goals from outside the box um in the Premier League and then like from a from a Ericsson perspective from his own personal perspective in terms of being selfish like obviously he wants to have more success in the game and it's a, it's also a really exciting team to be part of that Denmark Denmark squad they're re- very young a lot of uh, raw talent um, a lot of very talented players um, they got to the semi-finals of the Euros without their their marquee player really so for him to come back if he gets to the level he was at um, they could have a they could have a very good World Cup um, at the end of the year started for 2023 so yeah um, exciting times ahead for for Denmark, and let's hope uh, let's hope he he gets he's uh, he's all set to go for the World Cup. Yeah, definitely, and uh, we wish all uh, Christian Eriksen all the best at Brentford as well. We hope it, it's successful for him, and he he he'll be back up and playing playing regular pl- matches and have plenty of appearances. Um, and he gets back into the Denmark squad for the World Cup. Um, but I suppose that's probably the best thing, kind of, to probably finish off for, for the episode. Like we've covered plenty in this, we've covered plenty of clubs, and I'm sure we'll be talking about kind of when it comes to looking in more detail about the Premier League and kind of looking forward to to games and stuff like that. We'll look in more detail about some transfers that happened as well and some players maybe and how they've performed since they've transferred. Um, but thanks again, Rory, for joining me uh, for the latest episodes. Great, as always, to have you on. Yeah, thanks a million, Kino. Um, loads talked about, and I'm sure um, loads, to, um, loads to dissect and stuff and loads to go away um, and think about. And then obviously, uh, there's plenty, plenty that's going to happen between now and the next podcast, so looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. And if uh, thanks for everyone who's listened in. And come back, obviously, we uh, had a, a hiatus for a month and a half, but we're back and I hope to be recording at least uh, once a week um, with episodes and hope to have some regulars back on as well. We've got uh, Tommy now, who's uh, who's now in Dubai as well. He's all, also moved, so we'll have to uh, try and get some uh, time difference sorted for him. But uh, if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to give us a like at What A Hit Sun on social media. And we now officially have a TikTok channel, which I will be doing some TikToks with kind of updates and football and talking about various points as well. I've uh, had some from kind of the transfer window up there talking about transfers, but I will have some future videos going up onto it. So it's at What A Hits on podcast on TikTok as well. Uh, but until then, I've been Keen Samuel Mar, and this has been What A Hits On.